Good morning to everyone in the other home church gathering. We are all sending so much love to you guys this morning, and um, it will be wonderful when we're all in the same room together. We miss each other's faces, but from all of us here, sending lots of love, and to all of those that are also watching at home, if you've chosen to stay at home this morning, um, may you really encounter that tangible presence of the Holy Spirit that we feel in this room in your space, in your lounge, or in your bedroom this morning. Okay, guys, I'm going to be speaking this morning um, really a reflection on Psalm 126. So if you want to just close your eyes, it is one of my very favorite psalms, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it, and then I'm going to break it up and unpack it for us a little bit this morning. It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. All the nations saw it and joined in saying, the Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles and we are overjoyed. Now Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out carrying their seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting and gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and a harvest overflowing. I'm going to speak through the verses of that psalm this morning. And um, the title of the psalm is Restored. I think it's a beautiful theme for the season. There's a, there's a moment where the, the Lord is resetting his bride. There is a moment of revival, refreshing, restoration that we are leaning into the work of the Holy Spirit. And so um, this song is also can be titled a song of ascent. It's a title given to 15 of the Psalms, uh, 120 to 134. And they're called the songs of steps the songs for going up to worship or pilgrim songs. And I really love that title. It's, you know, the Psalms are really poetry on fire. They are, um, the, the scripture says, come with your Psalms, your hymns, your spiritual songs, come and worship the Lord. They become the songs of our heart in our journey, step by step with the Lord. And I don't, I, you might remember my last preach was entitled, Every Step and Arrival. Um, Every step with the Holy Spirit is a moment of transformation, of encounter. It's an important moment, not the destination that we want to reach, but every step. And so this is a song of steps or a song for our pilgrimage. And I, I love that idea that, that we are each a pilgrim in this life. I think it's an important and a key concept to view our life in that way. Um, in Psalm 84 in the NIV, it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. For me, each one of our hearts needs to be set on our journey with the Holy Spirit. 
It's the point, to enjoy God, for him to enjoy us and to love others. It's this journey, this pilgrimage with the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are set on pilgrimage, and this is, this is our life. As they pass through the valley of Baca, which is a place of weeping or despair, they make it a place of springs, of refreshing and life. The autumn rains also cover it with pools as they go from strength to strength. We are called to go from glory and glory, to glory to glory. And as we enter places of weeping and despair, which is a very real world right now, we, because of the Holy Spirit with us and in us, bring pools of refreshing and new life. What a beautiful picture, Psalm 84, of our journey. And... Um, we had a beautiful conversation with Mark Bush on holiday, of, um, and it was just so captivating for me that we, we needn't approach our life like we're a train on railway tracks. Like, this is our life, this is point A, B, C to Z, and this is where I'm going and I'm set on that course. But rather to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, to be a pilgrim who is led, who is walking in fellowship with our guide on this journey in intimate friendship. Um, yes, we're heading in a direction and we're intentional, but we're actually yielding as he shows us how to move, as he leads us. And really we want to just be more and more like Jesus. Jesus had zero resistance to the Holy Spirit. He only did what he saw the Father doing. For me, that's like the ultimate expression of what I'd like my life to do and to be, is when you look at me, you see what the Father's busy with. If you look at my life, you see what's on his heart. You see me being guided by him. I'm not actually making my decisions with my goals, achievement, and performance in mind. The new words that I'm adopting is not performance and achievement, but participation and partnership and fellowship. And that refers to our pilgrim journey. And so let's hop back into Psalm 126. Let's look at the context. At the first glance, the setting of this psalm appears to be the return of the Israelites from their Babylonian exile. They were exiled from Jerusalem, from their homeland, and now they return. However, the description is so general, it can actually refer to a number of events recorded in the scriptures where Israel was under pressure from foreign powers. Um, like when the Israelites are released from their bondage in Egypt. It's a beautiful picture of that, and they are now walking into their promised land. Um, it's also a powerful picture of salvation, of you and me being freed from the bondage of sin and death and separation and being reborn through Jesus' death and resurrection into the free life of sons and daughters. So this is this beautiful uh, psalm unpacking these truths. And I'm going to break it into three sections. Verse 1 to 3 is praise for past restoration, praise for being made free, praise for salvation. Verse 4 is praying and praise for restoration in our present moment. And then the last, verse 5 and 6, is confidence in the restoration of our future. And I want to look at those three themes, the past, the present, and the future. And they're all so beautifully linked in terms of our positioning. So part one, I'm going to read again, praise for past restoration. Can you just give me a time? timer so that I can see what's happening. Right, let's read those again. It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and we laughed and we overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. 
All the nations sought and joined in, saying, The Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles, and we are overjoyed. Friends, the last months, there's been this prayer brewing in my heart and, and being whispered on my lips over and over again, and, and I pray it over us as a community. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. They laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. And much of the time, I'm not sure that we're experiencing the joy of what it means, that the salvation, the freedom that we have received. And so I'll pray and pray with me over our community. God, may you restore to us the joy of our salvation. Friends, not a conceptual joy, a theoretical joy. Oh, the, the Lord did this, Jesus did this, and therefore I am joyful. No, an experiential joy, an alive joy, an actual participation in the life of Christ, our life union with the Holy Spirit, with the joy himself. It's so easy to move on from the joy of our salvation experience to kind of graduate from that initial born again experience like okay that was salvation now I'm graduating to more spiritually mature things maybe more exciting things or profound things but actually the grace of God given to us in the gift of salvation is not just our starting point it is the way in which we relate to God day by day it is the basis for our relationship with God we so quickly, and me, I so quickly move into a performance mentality, self-reliant, self-dependent attitude, and that's the culture of this world. And then I base my relationship with God in the subtle way on my own, like, I'm doing this, I'm getting mature, I'm getting sorted out. But actually, we receive salvation with total reliance and trust upon the Lord and his goodness and grace. As we receive that gift, it's like, you know you can't work for that salvation. You can't work for the forgiveness of sins. You receive it with total trust and reliance, and then we move on with life. And we believe that our healing, our deliverance, fruitfulness, prosperity, blessing will come from something that we do. And not from the unmerited favor because of the performance of Jesus. I believe he's drawing us back to that. The too good to be true news of salvation is that it is independent of our performance. Nothing we could ever do could make us perfect enough to free us from sin, deathness, sin, deathness, sin, death, sickness, and separation. Because of what Jesus did, I am reborn. Friends, can we continue in that freedom and in that trust every day receiving? The grace, which is the unmerited favor of God, the goodness of God streaming through our lives out of simple, childlike trust that it is done. And we are in life union with Jesus. It's like, there isn't anything more to move on to, in a sense. It is the simplest gospel, and it is the gospel that will keep you profoundly contemplating for all of eternity. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. We need as the church to see the power of God restored. The power of God is in the gospel of Jesus. If you think it's about working this spiritual muscle or this, those are overflows of our intimate 
relationship with Jesus. They are not where the power lies. The power lies in the fact that through his blood we are in union with him. That's it. And so we need the power of God in the gospel of Jesus. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives that comes through what? The gospel of Jesus, the good news that because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we are made new and we are in life union with him and the the, the reality of heaven is pouring through our life in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's it. And that's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so even we come back often to communion in our community because we have to focus on this over and over. Even this week, I was like, let's have communion with the kids before dinner. Can we get this revelation day in and day out so that I don't move towards, right, this is going to get the results I'm looking for in my life. It's not. The power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus is what I'm longing for in my life. And so salvation is not only being saved from our sins and being reconciled with God. It is healing, deliverance, and prosperity. A prosperous life is not only about finances, but about the well-being of the Spirit being manifest in our lives and that we receive through his goodness and grace and faithfulness every single day in every moment. It is foundational It is foundational for how we live as sons and daughters. So I want to encourage us all to come back to this daily. A really good indicator of living in that space is when we feel rest. Because when you trust, like when I trust it's done, as a little child, as my daddy, he like, he sorted it. I didn't have to be anxious. And so rest is a beautiful fruit of childlike trust. Trust is another word for faith. So let's take the big faith word into childlike trust. It's the same response. Okay, Rob's been saying we want to be a a community with an atmosphere of awe and wonder. I believe as the Holy Spirit restores to us the joy of of our salvation, we will have that electric anticipation of the power and the grace and the goodness of God. It will be an atmosphere in which we live. That's what we're longing for. We are too small, okay? In this community, we have the most talented, gifted, amazing people that we are honored. Rob and I are honored to journey with. But the best, best, best gifts cannot achieve what our hearts are longing for. Our best efforts cannot achieve what our hearts are longing for. The Holy Spirit, the full manifestation of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and and living out the fullness of what Jesus purchased with his blood, that's what we're longing for. And that's what we're positioning ourselves for. I want to quickly read um, Romans 5. I literally read this and then I try and visualize it in my life. So it's Romans 5. I'm reading it from the Passion. Please go back and read it this week and just visualize it in your situation. But our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, right, standing, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes, okay? This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace. Shalom peace is not just peace but well-being, flourishing, blessing, prosperity, fruitfulness, okay, with God because of what the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith, our simple trust, just like we received in salvation, our simple trust guarantees us permanent access into his marvelous grace and kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory 
and goodness. I sit in my life and I think about the things that I, I'm like, oh, this situation with my child, I, I want this to be fruitful and, and this situation in our business and just the things that we face. And then I visualize the fact that as I open my hands, I'm like, I just trust you, Jesus, because of what you did. I visualize the extravagant grace, goodness and kindness of God, like pouring into those spaces. I can't fix that. I can't shift this. What I'm longing for here, I can't achieve. And I actually just visualize the reality of that moving into those situations to do what only God can do, because I'm longing for what he can only do. And so maybe we can position ourselves. They just get stuck on Romans 5, verse 1 to 2 and 3, just at the moment and just begin to visualize. And I believe we're going to be caught up in the joy of the power and the grace and the goodness of God being manifest in every area of our life as we come back to, it's because of the anointed one, Jesus, having given his life. I find that disappointment, fear, and control. Disappointment means I don't trust you. Fear means I don't trust you. Control means I don't trust you. And I, I, for me, I close the door on that grace. It's like, I'll do it, Lord. Just hold, I'll do it. And those become red flags to, no, okay, I need you to do this. Therefore, I keep opening that door and receiving in grace what I cannot do and cannot achieve myself. That, that separates us, guys. That is where the laughing, laughing, overflowing joy actually comes from. And for me, it's a very, very subtle change. It's not like I'm working to get God happy with me. It's a subtle change from dependence and childlike trust in the finished work on the, of the cross moment by moment to, I'll do it. Watch me. And those are certain signs. Okay, so Andrew Womack says that every revival has a fresh revelation of God's grace. I believe that that's what's happening right now. Each awakening has possessed an acute awareness of man's need to forsake independence and acknowledge his dependence on God. I believe that this is actually the key to the revival that's unfolding, is this coming back to our dependence on God. And so they become uh, like those who dream. This experience of liberation is so unexpected, it seems more like a dream than reality. And friends, we are the ones that have been led out of captivity. We have become the dreamers. We have seen and know the goodness and kindness of God, his power to save and deliver us. And now we get to dream a future where God's goodness is made real to the world around us through him living in us. Isn't that powerful? We get to dream a future of God's goodness. I'm going to read Galatians 4, 4 to 7 from the message. It just puts it so beautifully. When the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. That for me sums up grace. Complete access to the inheritance. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
all that he is and all that he has because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We like to skim over that. That's like huge. The crescendo of the cross, we are not alone. We get to walk this life with the Holy Spirit. We are woven into the life of the Trinity, two worlds meeting in us. And so let's keep to this um, theme from Psalm 126 of slaves coming out of bondage. It's a beautiful picture of our salvation, but I'm going to now speak about the Israelite story for a moment. They were in slavery for 400 years, and God brings his children out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea, this good father. He wants to be known as a father to the Israelites. He brings them out. He feeds them day in and day out with manna. He takes care of them. But they can never break their slave mentality. They are always consumed with the the old man, as Romans would put it, that slave mentality. The signs are complaining. Not able to give thanks for God's grace and goodness and glory. Grumpy and dissatisfied. Everything is hard, difficult, and awful. And then, when they don't understand what is going on, they grow impatient, and they go and make themselves an idol. They make the golden calf. That's what I think we actually do, because performance is actually the religions of this world. We, we, we set ourselves goals to get better. And when we don't understand what God is doing or where he is, then we just build ourselves a little strategy to feel better. A journey that should have taken 40 days takes 40 years, and it's not until there is a new generation, the Joshua generation, that they can inherit the land, because the Joshua were the kids. They were the ones that only knew the goodness of God. They didn't know the slavery. So once their minds were like, but God is good, and he provides, and so they were the ones that could inherit the land. Isn't that amazing? So the dream on God's heart for the moment is that they would enter and live in the land that he's promised them. He wants to partner with them. He wants them to participate in the dream that is on his heart. He wants them to trust him and rely on him in order to little by little take the promised land that is filled, yes, with giants and fortified cities. But he's like, come on, kids, this is what we're going to do. And here they stand. We're going to look now at Numbers um, at Numbers 13. Here they stand at the promised land. And guys, I want us to, to look at our life and the current, um, the current global situation. That is really, really hard. And they stand here uh, looking at what the Lord has, the dream on the Father's heart going ahead, and you get the slave report and the, the slave mentality report, and you get the son report in what Joshua says. So let's see what they said. So the spies go into the land, and Caleb silences the people. He says, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. But the men said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. It was like, this can't be done. This is impossible. That slave mentality, what have they seen God do? And yet they look at the giants and they're like, no, it's too much. And what do Joshua and Caleb say? The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. So here you have these two spies, the one slave mentality, although they've seen the Red Sea parted too much. And the sons stand and they say, of course it's too much, but it's good. 
and the Lord will do it. So let's stick with him. He will lead us and will take possession of the promises on his heart. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters, and the Holy Spirit is transforming our mind. So as the events around the globe play out, they can seep into our thinking. There is evil, there is tyranny, there is uncertainty, there is real giants, real, for real, terrible things. But as sons and daughters, the Holy Spirit transforms our vision. We don't want to be naive. We don't want to put our head in the sand and be like, that's not happening, pretend it's not happening. We don't have to shut our eyes to the reality of the events and we don't have to retract in fear or self-pity. We don't want to be intimidated and we don't want to be distracted. We want to partner with God. What is he saying? What is the dream on his heart? What does goodness and kindness in the next 10 years look like through sons and daughters? Um, the Time magazine, ah, look at this. Destination 2030, this is the best minds in the world. What is 10 years from now possibly going to look like? Could we dream? And I want to say to us, collective church, I want to say to us sons and daughters, what does the next 10 years like look like with the Father? What can we expect of his goodness and kindness? What are the dreams of, on his heart that he wants us to partner with in bringing change and transformation to the world around us? We get to share in the conversation of Father and Jesus because of our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. What are the next 10 years going to look like? Um, there's this beautiful, powerful story uh, on YouTube about wolves that change rivers. And we're going to uh, post that on the collective community chat so that you can go and have a look at that. We don't have time this morning. But wolves were introduced um, a few years ago, I think it was in the 90s, after 70 years of absence in Yellowstone National Park, they reintroduce wolves into the ecosystem. And this profound thing happens. They're the top predators, but they affect the predators below. Eventually, it's called a, a trophic cascade. The ecosystem changes until the rivers themselves, because the grass was eaten by all the predators and so on, it's got this beautiful unpacking, but the rivers themselves actually change because the wolves are there. The landscape changes because the wolves were reintroduced. And every time I watch that video, I'm like, whoa, that is us. We are the sons and daughters. And when we're in the ecosystem, when we're in the world, we should see the landscape change because of that joy and laughter and the power of the Holy Spirit through us and that heaven being brought through our lives, the landscape around us should change. That's what I'm anticipating in the next 10 years, that sons and daughters will be reestablished in the joy and the power of our salvation, and it will change the landscape of the next 10 years. Um, businesses, projects, loving people. I read a beautiful quote this week. Um, it's not that the, the problem is not that the church is strange. We're not strange enough. The love, the serving that we should bring to the world should only be happening by our empowerment by the grace of God. It is not possible in our humanity. There's an extravagant expression of the heart and the generosity of the Father that we are beginning to tap into um, in, in the, the, the next 10 years. Well, I'm so glad I've got through part one of um, <laughs> Psalm 126. 
Okay, part two, I'm just going to make two comments, okay? Verse four. So part two is the petition for restoration at the present. I believe the key to restoration in the present is an understanding of um, what salvation really is and living in that day to day, living in the grace of the gospel of God, day to day, um, and our identity as sons and daughters. You see, in that story of the Israelites, the same venom that was in the heart of Eden the venom that the snake brought, the suspicion that God is not good, was the same venom in the story with the Israelites, the suspicion that God is not good, he's not trustworthy. It's the same venom in our lives. Oh, he's not good and he's not really trustworthy, so just do it yourself. It's the same picture. And so sons and daughters need to be fully established in the father of truth, the truth of the gospel. I'm giving myself to read a, a very basic, it's an Andrew Warmack book called The Gospel of Grace. Just every day, just read it. It's like, it feels like I know all this already, but I don't understand it all. And I need a fresh revelation in the working out of my life. So just to position ourselves again for that. And I believe that's part of our restoration at the present. But two things, let me read this. So verse four, now Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. Even as Gerard shared his testimony a couple of weeks ago, can we be a storytelling community? Can we tell the stories of God's wonders that have happened in history, that have happened in the scriptures and that have happened in our own lives? Because testimony is the spirit of prophecy. We're opening the atmosphere for Jesus to do it again. Let's change our conversation, even if it's little, Little. This week, God did this. Like, you know, just share it because it opens up the atmosphere of expectation that he's going to do it again now. And may the streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Just go back. I, I can't go into the whole story now. I'm running out of time. But John 4, that reminds me of the woman at the well. And she's like, do you want to drink from the well? And he says, Jesus says to her, if you drink of me, um, you'll never thirst again for this well of living water bubbling up inside of you. That again, how do we drink of the water of the Holy Spirit bubbling up inside of us in our life? By simple faith and trust. And in our current generation, there's so much pulling for our attention, vying for our attention. You know, just from the moment you wake up, that phone and the voices and the, the, the fact of practicing that presence of God, the truth is that the Holy Spirit is the living water of Jesus bubbling up to life and its fullness. Where? The woman says, where must I go and worship? Where must I get this? And Jesus puts that performance mentality on its head and says, you don't go anywhere. It's about your heart and the rivers of living water will bubble up within you. And so can we practice that receiving by childlike faith the truth that the Holy Spirit is bubbling up within us. But it takes a positioning of attention. It takes a, a reflection on the truth of what Jesus has bought for us. It's not somewhere else. The Holy Spirit is here and bubbling up to life and joy within us. And so I want to challenge us to, by faith, let our dry heart be, hearts be drenched again. And then I'm going to pop to this um, to finish off. Part three, <clears throat> confidence of the restoration in the future. I'm going to quickly read those verses to us. Um, those who sow in tears as seeds 
They will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out carrying their seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and a harvest overflowing. I believe that right now there is an open heaven to plant kingdom seed that we will only understand in two, five, ten years to come what the Lord did. But he's calling us now to plant those seeds. And there's this atmosphere of plant the seeds that are in your hands. And ten years from now, we are going to be so glad that we did, even though it doesn't make sense right now necessarily of why we're planting those seeds, if that, if that makes sense. Okay, so you... Ask the Holy Spirit what the seed is in your hand, kingdom seeds that he wants to plant now. I asked him during the December holidays, and I was surprised at the answer, okay? It may be that what you think you have to give is actually different from what you have to give, okay? So we need a fresh insight in what we hold in our hands. And it's time to sow. It's time, even though this is so beautiful because the sower weeps when he sows his precious seed because his children are hungry. It's the picture of sacrificing the little that we have now in this current economic environment, so financially, or even just the pressures we're facing, even the constraints in terms of what we can and can't do, reach out, and all of that. It's like pressure wanting us to withdraw, hold back, and hoard just because we're not quite sure how this is all going to pan out. That's not the economy of, of the kingdom. The kingdom economy is generosity. If he gave his only son to us, he pours out everything. The father pours out everything. And we can only live generously. Okay, So it may even feel hard to do. It may feel like you're sowing in tears in this season. But you're going to come back with such an overflowing kingdom harvest in years to come. Don't miss this moment of open heaven to plant seed. And the Lord, you know, it means so many different things, but the Lord will prompt your heart. Please ask him, what seed should I sow? And even if you don't see this month or this year what that seed, the harvest of that seed, I'm telling you that five to ten years from now, you're going to be so glad because the, there's this like cumulative growth of the kingdom of God happening at this moment that we can't even see or fully comprehend, and that's what he's wanting us to plant into. Um, it's money, yes, because money is always the issue of the heart. It's the biggest trust issue. That's why it's about money. Okay, And so, yes, it's financial seeds that you plant. It is also time. It is also your talent. It is the gift of your life. It is your love and your compassion, your relationship. It's all of those things. It's a generous life in every way. It might be opening your home, inviting people over. It's the, the inconvenience of generosity, but it's generosity in every part of our life. Okay, And it breaks that cycle. It's a good way to break the cycle of me, me, me performance. Very healthy. Um, okay. Now is the season to sow. So there's, yeah, okay. Another point we can talk about ideas of how that could happen, but let, let's just leave the Holy Spirit with you guys to ask him, what do I sow? Is it a new project, a new business? Is it my time? Is it my love, my affection, my home? Do I make a meal for someone? Do I sow financially? Like, just take your seed and say, what's in my hand, Holy Spirit? And, and he'll give us a strategy, and maybe we can brainstorm that another time. But I'm going to end with this. And um, 
This is a book written by Jeremy Riddle, and I read an excerpt for my worship team on Thursday, and it's just a positioning for us to go back to where Jesus is the center. All the things that happen in church and that happen in our Christian lives, all the different aspects are beautiful facets of our life with the Holy Spirit. But if ever you make one of those the main thing, you've taken off the center, what the center should be. The centrality is Christ alone. His death, burial, resurrection, and then his actual living presence with us. God, Emmanuel, that's it. When that's the center, then everything will find its place. And that's what we're starting with as a community. We're putting him back in the center. And we're going to see what he's going to do from there. But I just want to just read this so that we position ourselves. So you can just close your eyes and then we're going to close. I believe the church stands in the valley of decision, a decision we must make quickly and decisively. We are standing in the midst of one of the greatest awakenings in history. But the question is, how are we stewarding it? How have we been responding to the mighty breath of God awakening his bride to worship in wonder again? Are we squandering this moment? Do we know the Christian formula better than we know his presence? Will any of us come out of this? And I literally mean come out, abandon, forsake, be separate from. Will we forsake our formulas and cry out for the true empowerment of the Holy Spirit on our lives again? My friends, I too have been tempted, sifted, caught up, and blinded by many of the same pitfalls. I'm not judging. I'm simply pleading that we recognize the sovereign hand of God moving in this hour and with fear and trembling consecrate our lives afresh. Our gifts, our platforms, our favor, our time, skill, gift, talent, finances to see an even greater awakening and release of his glory on the earth. Will we yield the whole of our lives again? Will we earnestly repent and return to where we started? Will we forsake the earthly and foolish ambition that currently abounds and masquerades as spirituality? Will we respond to his moving? Thank you, Holy Spirit for what you're doing in our community. Thank you for what you're doing in our personal lives. We are honored, excited, and full of anticipation to just yield to the life of Jesus with us, in us. Receiving all that you are and all that you do and all that you have, Jesus, Father, because of the cross. And we want to yield our lives again to friendship with the Holy Spirit, to partnership, participation, fellowship, and adventure. So again, just in this moment, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Let joy bubble in our hearts and refresh the dry places this morning. Let others look at our lives and see the kindness, the grace and the goodness of God and marvel at the heart of the Father and help us to sow with you, Holy Spirit. We want to see a harvest in the years to come, a bountiful harvest, a kingdom harvest. And so we position ourselves to sow with the great farmer. 
and reap the harvest. Thank you, Lord.